I um, was at the Big Noise Festival, the Bron Big David Bromberg show on the riverfront. And I was with a group of friends. Um, it was great. Um, there was a Andres Osborne, a, a New Orleans artist I like. Um, it was a great show. We were there all day. Uh, I was with my friend Lex uh, Wilson, who's a reporter for a news journal. So we're hanging out, and you know, sometime like five, six p.m. Here comes fucking John Carney, like in the in, right, you know, to the show. We're in the back of the park there, where the food trucks were. And so I didn't see him at first, and Lex was like, "Look, there's your buddy." And I was like, "Oh God!" He was like, he grabbed his notebook. He's like, "You know, I gotta do this. I gotta go see if I can get some comment from him. See what I can do." You know, like I think he was even technically covering the thing. And so Lex is up there talking to him about maybe 15 feet in front of me. Lex is, they're both sort of with their back to me. I'm looking over their middle shoulder. So I looked at Susan. I was like, fuck it. I'm going over there. I had a bunch of friends. So I walk over. They don't see me walk over. I put my hand on the governor's shoulder like this. And I was like, hey. I look at Lex and I was like, why don't you ask him when he's going to, when he's going to get some courage and do something down there. And I turn around. And all my friends are laughing. And I thought they were just laughing because of what I said. And Susan's like, the look on his face looked like he he wanted to, like, he wanted to shit his pants. And he was just like, <laughs> And then within, well, then obviously he stopped talking to Lex. So I kind of fucked that up. And then the two, <laughs> like, the two state trooper dudes in the golf shirts, like the real swollen guys with the, you know, then, then they come up and I was like, Oh boy. <laughs> so that <would laughs> kind of put an end to that fun. But yeah, our our little back and forth has gone on, you know, quite a while. <laughs> Greetings, everyone. Uh, we were just talking about uh, some of you. Um, actually, we weren't talking. We were. We're making fun of you. The hate listeners, you know who you are. But we're here uh, in the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, in the belly of the beast. Patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Here we are. Um, I'm going to continue um, something that I really enjoy doing, which is sort of like our community organizers and activists, like local, local folks tonight. Um, I guess it was beginning of September, Yeah, the three of you started. Yes. Yeah, okay. I know it was like three months, something like that. Um, so Network Delaware has added uh, a group of community organizers uh, and basically in some key areas um, to focus on particular topics, uh, issues, and particular areas. And I hope to speak with Brandon Fletcher uh, and Ade Robertson soon. Uh, Brandon's like the Newcastle Route 9 sort of organizer that's his focus and today is uh, like youth youth and youth justice right mm-hmm yeah but tonight uh, I'm very pleased to have the Wilmington focused organizer uh, Shanae Darby so thank you for coming yes I'm happy to be here I'm in the bunker feel like I'm part of a revolution that's the idea <laughs> so I'm excited to be here cool well speaking of revolutions uh, and um, actions in the street I was hoping that I would be able to write like this incredible ending to the story. And obviously it's not an end. It's a continuation of the Lula Livre story uh, because Lula was freed. Um, 
uh, I was just uh, over the moon about it. Um, and just seeing the photos and seeing him speak, and he's such a, just a dynamic um, politician, and seeing him go to the steel uh, steel workers union and, and give a speech, it was it was pretty great. Um, but at the time that was happening, um, the military did a coup in Bolivia. So Evo Morales, uh, who was part of the, uh, I guess it's called the MAS Party, the Movement of Socialism Party, um, he was elected to another term. Uh, but it was disputed, and by disputed, I mean they were just tired of having this guy, you know, run a socialist country. So uh, they they kidnapped some of his family and some of par- some of the party members. They burned down some party offices. Um, they made a big show of having the police sort of move with the military uh, on some of the socialist factions, and to try to stop uh, that sort of bloodshed under duress, uh, Morales resigned, I guess, last night, maybe Saturday night over the weekend. This is the 11th. Um, so he resigned, but the um, <clears throat> the violence hasn't stopped. Uh, they, uh, they, they pulled a, a mayor, a woman who was also in that party, an indigenous mayor who was assaulted in the street, uh, threw red paint on her, ripped her hair out with like knives, just cut like she shaved her head with knives. Um, they're burning the indigenous flag, which is just like a symbol for the indigenous people of Bolivia. And the reason this is important is because Evo Morales was the first indigenous leader of Bolivia. A lot of the other countries have had sort of, they've all had revolutions of some sort. Um, but it was always ruled up until 12 years ago by elites of European descent. Um, and they're, they're making every um, indication that they're, they've had enough of that. Uh, one, of the, one of the leaders of the right-wing fascist opposition came into the palace today and put a Bible down and said, there'll, there'll be no more talk of indigenous gods, you know, oblivious for Christ. Um, so what you're really seeing is, is a, uh, capitalist coup fueled by white supremacy. So this is something, maybe if you put it in those terms, people will kind of, kind of get it. Um, the real sort of root of it, uh, is as it always is some sort of capital resource. Um, you know, in Venezuela, it's oil in the middle East, it's oil in Africa, it's minerals and gems. And in Bolivia, it's it's lithium. So you got a phone in your hand, you got all your devices, you got fancy, you know, Teslas that have lithium batteries. All of these lithium, this lithium technology is is important. And um, just recently, and I don't have the number on this because it's all kind of happening pretty quickly. I'm trying to get up to speed on it. Um, the that industry was going to be further nationalized. Um, so that more of the social welfare programs could be uh, could be done and more could be redistributed to the people. And I, I believe that's probably the tipping point. Um, there's been pressure from the OAS, which is the Organization of American States, which is a, basically a CIA right wing front as like it's like a it's like a UN for big capital in America's. 
they were they you know raised some objections about the latest round of elections uh on there's no evidence of this it's just that there's you know saying that morales didn't get enough for a runoff and so they just floated this idea and that was enough for the military to turn um and you know under great duress and you know his life is obviously still at risk um step down um but there's been news today there's been some fight back uh it's scary because you know when you see a thousand indigenous people running down the street with you know makeshift weapons to go fight a fascist army you know it's not a pleasant thing to think about but the spirit we have to stand in solidarity with Morales with the socialists in Bolivia with Lula and the Workers Party in Brazil and everybody all over the world so that's what I have to say about that so I had to go on a little rant sorry you actually are giving me the look that I usually get when I go on those type of rants <laughs> Carl goes on his phone and shit I just got to get it out. I got to get it all out of my out of my system. Yes, I understand. <laughs> so let's do this. Let's start. Um, we always sort of start with your background. Uh, if you're local, where you grew up, um, where your family is, all that. Yeah. So I'm. I was born and raised in Wilmington. Um, my mother's side of the family, they're all from Jamaica. So my mom moved here as a teenager. And she had me while she was in college. Uh, my dad is, uh, he's from Jersey. So they're from Newark, New Jersey. Um, so I come from a very, I would say, I feel like it's a mix. Because I can understand the non-American and the American side to things. <laughs> Growing up pretty much in the immigrant side of my family. Um, sometimes I, I, I felt different. Um, than other people in my community because I grew up in an immigrant, a black immigrant family than it's a, just a black American family. Like it's very, the food is different. The culture was different. We're similar in many ways, but it was very different in different ways too. But yes, yeah, so I was born and raised in Wilmington. Um, I went to a Catholic school most of my life uh, for pretty much elementary school up into middle school. And then I transitioned to a public school um, in that transition, I went to Springer, then I went to Mount. Um, so at Mount, I found a love for radio, actually. So I was on the radio station for the four years I was at Mount Pleasant. I had my own radio um, show. I was doing, like, morning announcements, the TV shows. Um, I was doing production. I was taking the classes. Like, my dream was to be a radio host. Um so I went to college for mass communication. I ended up going to Temple University. Originally, I wanted to go to Howard, um, but I got pregnant my senior high, my last year of high school, and um, I was like, I still want to go to college, and I know I got accepted to Temple at that point, but I really wanted to go to Howard for the HBCU, which is a historically black college and university. I wanted to go for that experience, but I missed out on that. And end up going to Temple University, which was a it was a diverse community. It wasn't white like UD, but <laughs> like UD is super white. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, like, it's 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 so it's so strange to me because you know it didn't it didn't occur to me because I was young, and it also probably didn't occur to me because it was you know almost thirty years ago now. 
but looking back on it, it was it was super white. And it and to hear that it's still super white is just it's so fucking discouraging. And the it's only thing scary. And the only thing I can well here's here's the only thing I can um I, I think it, it, it must be, and I'll ask you guys. Are you on, Carl? Are you over there? I'm on. Okay. <clears throat> because of this tradition, I'll call it a tradition because it's gross, kind of, but of separate like fraternities, um, the black student, you, all of that stuff, all of those um, institutions that are there, they're just there. And then they, there's no work to change any of them. So they just leave them in place and you have the same old shit. That's what I, I don't know. I, I I really don't know. It's 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 um it's really disappointing actually because I I did enjoy my time there, yeah, um, but to realize cool. they didn't. I mean, even after all this time, they haven't recognized and done anything about it. It's a little weird. Yeah, probably just don't care. You're probably right. <laughs> well, <I> think, <laughs> oh, yeah. From my experience, just talking with uh, people who have tried to like increase diversity at UD, it's just that. A lot since it seems that like especially the political culture at UD seems to be pretty segregated. Like there are specific sort of white clubs and black clubs, which is you know fucked up. And like stuff like the Review barely has. I don't. I don't know if they have any black writers right now. Um, and so uh, I knew a person who knew a person who um, was a black woman that was trying to like write an op-ed about her experiences at UD, and like the editor shot it down. And when they do, um, like when the university tries to do diversity stuff, they don't, they do very surface level, like, you know, they'll find the one black person that they can put on the website in the series of images, but they don't seem to actually reach out to any of the communities and actually put in the work. So they just want to sort of get brownie points for trying, but they don't actually seem to put in the work, for, at least as far as I can tell. Yeah. And I think that is so key to talk about that because I'm seeing that... Being a community or I don't even know how to word it. <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to get my words together. But being in my three months of being this paid community organizer and having to interact with so many people and also it seems like it's a lot of great white folks who want to do great things, right? But they haven't dealt with or thought of a lot of things that are important so I went to a summit and it was I walked in I'm I'm the only black person I'm tired of walking in places and being the only black person like point blank period. I'm just tired of it so I reached out to the person who organized it and he just didn't see anything wrong with it I'm like you're an organizer you're supposed to be intentional on who you're invited I'm intentional as a black woman you're supposed to be super intentional as a white male so I, I just think he just didn't care. That's how UD didn't care. And it's like everything is just surface level. Nothing is really diving deep in because I said to really talk about, they want to talk about the environment. We have to look at the history of white supremacy. We have to look at the history of colonialism. We have to look at the history of those things to really even d dive deep and to understand why there is environmental injustice. So we're not hitting on those key things. These, this whole conversation is surface. I felt I, I didn't want to be. I was like, I'm tired. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I was like, I'm ready to go. Yeah, you kind of hit on something we hit on in here quite a bit. It's like right. if you can't if you can't shock people's sort of system into 
having a more global out my thing is about like a global, global output i try to talk about like world politics i, I pepper that into this because I, I i i try to use that as this idea of like there's so many people around who have sort of the awareness of maybe three feet around them and like like a bubble you know but they don't even but the problem is they they don't not only do they not believe they're in it they don't believe that they're that they exist at all. They're like, well, no, I just I think this and that's fine. It's not. If you're not dealing like with you, if you can't look people in the face, I mean, how do I want to put this? Talk about cops a lot, and like the fact that you can look at those the the, the blue line. Uh, American flags and people don't like at least laugh people are like what the f what the fuck is that like that's just the violence of the state being brought down for reasons that have fucking nothing to do with criminal justice and nothing to do with law enforcement we've talked about it before here I'm not, I won't go off on a terrible rant but like if people don't want to confront that for example if they don't want to confront that yesterday uh, you know, they had to do flyovers of attack helicopters over NFL stadiums. And I'm thinking to myself, well, oh, that's the last thing, you know, Afghani pine nut farmers see before they're incinerated. I'm like, that's fun. But nobody, nobody even, when you, when you give them that perspective, it's like, it's just shut down. Mm -hmm. They're just shut down. And so once that happens, like the perspective is important to get to the root of the problem. But if you don't want to face the perspective, you're at an impasse. And we talk about it all the time. What you're describing is like one of the things I'm trying to do in here. People have to think deeper than what's around them. And I even learned that from myself. So back in March, I had did a, a public speaking engagement about black maternal health care. And I was at the psychiatric hospital and I did it for one of their women's history month for March. And my narrowness on black maternal health care was just based on my experience. Right. And I didn't think deeper beyond what other groups of black women were experiencing. So one of the girls, she was incarcerated when she had her child and she talked about how she was shackled. So when she said that, I'm like, confused like what do you mean you were shackled like it didn't even like it didn't connect it didn't even click to me when she first said it she was like yeah I was shackled when I had my baby I'm like like bars like to the bed she had to explain to like I was shocked and I'm sitting here thinking like I've been talking about black maternal health care and I didn't think about incarcerated women like at all because I want I never been incarcerated I hope I never become incarcerated you know <laughs> but <laughs> I never thought about that group so from there on, I knew I had to be intentional when I'm thinking about maternal health care. So with the campaign that I'm working on now with Network Delaware, I'm very intentional. And I have to remember as a community organizer, I can't think things don't exist. I have to think beyond me. And I think if everyone starts thinking like that, we'd be in a better place. I know I don't, I'm not, so one of the subgroups in my black maternal health care that I want to look at is the LGBTQ community. No one talks about maternal health care for lesbian couples. Nobody. Like, I never heard that conversation before. Why aren't we having these conversations? Why didn't I never think about this before? Because I wasn't being intentional. I was stuck in my 
what I experienced as a black woman in maternal health care. I didn't think about deeper than that. And I think it's so important in being a community organizer. You have to be intentional. You have to be. Even me as a black woman, especially as a white male, white woman, whatever you're, you have to be intentional in this work. And that's what I learned from that experience. Like, how come I never thought about incarcerated women? Why is this just coming up for me? Why didn't I notice? Well, I, I I'm gonna uh, go out on a limb here. I hope you'll allow me. Yes. And I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna say that I'm um, significantly older than you are. <clears throat> and I can tell you that through experience, because I try to approach things like that too. It, it took me, but it took me a while. It took me a long time. Like, um, there's a there's this old adage about music, Bob Dylan said, a lot of people said it, like, you come to it when you come to it. Like, I listen to old music with old blues music, old reggae, old uh, Motown, whatever. And I'm like, I never heard this band before. I never heard this. I, I never heard this horn line before. But you, you, I missed it when it came out. Or it was, you know, something that happened in the 80s, some new wave thing. And I was around, but I just missed the whole thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I found out about it 20 years later. <clears throat> but... I also look at the work like you come to it when you come to it. And the fact that maybe you never heard, uh, you know, Motown until 2010 doesn't mean you like Motown any, or you don't appreciate Motown any less. Right. You know what I mean? But you have to keep it. Yeah. You have to, uh, you have to go about your business. I guess that's the way you're using the like, intentional. You have to go about your business understanding that that's sort of what you're doing all the time. Like keeping widening it, opening it up to think about more people, including more people, like in a mass movement and organizing for people what their needs are, like their mm -hmm. material needs are. Um, yeah, so that's. I think we might have found there's going to be some intentionality in the uh, the title of this. I think. <laughs> yes, intentional, yeah. intentional, intentional. That was one of the things for the environmental summit. Be intentional in who you're inviting. If they all look like you, it's a problem. <laughs> if you walk in the room, they all look like you. What's the issue? Um, especially if you're talking about social justice issues. And one of the main things for the environmental piece that I was upset about, I think anytime you talk about an environment, the Native American people have to be invited in that conversation. And to be honest, I never met the Native people of Delaware, but I know they're important to that conversation. Like, period, as the young people say, right? They're, they're, <laughs> they have to be a part of this conversation. And why weren't they a part of it? So things like this are frustrating me about like being an organizer in Delaware. And sometimes I have to take a step back um, and I have to learn that. So I, I dropped some a few gems on this person about being intentional. And at first they didn't listen to me until another white organizer had talked to him. Like, I'm, I just told you the same thing, <laughs> but they didn't get it until. But maybe that's maybe that's good. I think conversations need to happen amongst white community activists and organizers for them to understand certain things. So maybe coming from me just wasn't a. He wasn't able to fully comprehend. I don't know why. I don't know. I speak English, but yeah, I didn't get that whole con that whole dialogue that happened. Yeah, I think it's hard too because it's a different kind. Of, people aren't. Um, it's a different kind of politics, you know. People are. Um, they're educated and they come up in a in a culture uh, that reward certain things and suppress certain things and so 
when you think of politics as a certain thing, how you do it, how you get votes, right. you know, what the what money is involved, what kind of how you use your power for who. And so you can you could hire, you know, your housing policy can be shit and you can hire cops to keep the poor in their neighborhoods and, and brutalize them and you can make sure that you means test any kind of social program so that you stick you, you apply a stigma to it you make it hard all that different stuff and you can oppress large blocks of people and just do politics with a small amount of people or you could try to do the politics you're talking about and look at you know there's a LGBT community that needs uh you know uh reproductive health there are there are uh native uh, indigenous people prop that live here that probably you know li have lived here for 500 years who knows we don't know but it's a people have a difficult time even imagining um, something different because you're like they, they'll tell you well you're not you're not doing it right no I'm doing it right I'm not doing what you're doing right. it's a whole different thing you know and I think that's the biggest prof that that's also profound and it takes a real commitment to keep to to um, to be able to go against the grain and kind of try to do politics like that. No, I agree. I agree. Um, and but so far, overall, my experience being a community organizer with Network Delaware, just being a because outside, of, I didn't even know that there was a word for what I did. Like people were like, "Oh, you're a community organizer." I'm like, "No, I just help my community." Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I'm not a like I didn't even understand or comprehend. Um, and it's just starting to come to me, like, within the last few months on what I have been doing or what I have been exposed to my whole life is community organizer work. I just always thought of it as something that people just do. And so, like, I talk about my family being immigrants. Like, I grew up with mostly my mom's side of the family. So we were a part of an organization called CCOD, the Caribbean Cultural Organization of Delaware. So I was dragged to all of the meetings. I heard all of the political conversations with my stepdad, with hearing the men talk, hearing the women talk, hearing everyone congregating together, um, seeing how they helped each other, right, was really. So if someone comes from home, which is Jamaica, or come from a Caribbean island, everyone surrounded that person with resources and support. That's what I saw growing up. I saw programs. They had soccer programs for the kids, tutoring programs. They did outreach to the community. They get like, this is what I grew up on. This is how I thought people were. Like, <laughs> like this was like natural for me. And my mom always exposed me to my history and culture as a black person. She would make us read books. Like I thought that was the norm, right? I, I didn't know that this, like, what my family, what they were doing was community activism, community organizing. I never thought of it like that. And then even as I was, like, growing up, I remember, like, in high school, I wanted to start a black student union. I was upset about the African-American studies course. Like, it's just always been in me. And I say that people ask, like, when did you start community organizing? And that question is so hard for me because... I always say like it was I was born like I was born with the fire. I was born with this passion. I always say like the ancestors I always say the ancestors been speaking to me for a long time and people think speak like words. No, I'm not crazy. I don't hear voices or anything. But like <laughs> like in different ways, 
You could feel, hear their presence, their energy. And I felt that since a child, like that passion, that energy for me to want to change communities, to come in and, and, and help people has always just been in me. Like people are like, when did this start? I don't know. I was born like this. Like <laughs> I don't have an answer to that. Like yeah, I was literally I, born this way. Like I don't know. Now I feel you. <laughs> I wonder what was your what was your uh, family's position on Michael Manley and the PMP? No, we can't get into that. <laughs> so, I always try to take it real deep. I yeah. try to take the deep cuts. Yeah. So like, I, I, <laughs> but I mean, the the, the fun, the interesting thing is, I I was ki I was half kidding about that, but um, <laughs> you know, Jamaican politics of that time, you know, after you know when it, there was turmoil, uh, and then in this, you know, and then they tried to do something, didn't really work. Um, but it is a, it's a, it's a real rich story and a, and a, and a very, you know, with Manly and the party, uh, you know, something that can be sort of studied and learned from because it is, it's a, it's a huge, it's a major sort of workers movement in the Caribbean, in the Americas. Yeah. You know, that's why we talk about, um, the Car yes. the Caribbean, Central America, all of it. Um, there's, there's, you know, huge, huge basis for this kind of. It's kind of thought people like this, people who have like a sort of a revolutionary spirit. Yeah, I don't know. I just got the spirit. I don't know. I don't know when my starting point was. People ask, like, "What is my starting point? When, when did you start community work?" I just been around it all my whole life, and then just growing up. I don't know. I just been exposed to my history, my culture, seeing people help each other, and then I wanted to use. <laughs> I remember I was I started radio when I was in ninth grade. I'm like, let me try out the radio station. I like talk. I used to like talking a lot. I forgot that Mount Pleasant had still has the station. I think they still do. They still have it. I, I think so. I might go back over there. I might help out <laughs> when I get some free time. But radio <laughs> used to be my I bet love. You I can get it here on a radio because I'm close enough, and it's up on Penny Hill. So the reception's pretty decent. You can usually get it like on Philadelphia Pike. You can you can still. I think you still hear it. Yes, yes. I used to. I had shows on there. I used to be there almost every day learning about radio. Like, I had a deep passion for it. But it kind of changed when I went to college. So when I went to college, I was in mass communications. My focus was radio. Like, I did my internships at, like, local, like, hip-hop stations, Power 99, and then Kiss 101.7 when they were, um, they were like, hip-hop and R&B before they turned over to talk radio. So I took my first... Um, african-american no african history course so it wasn't african-american so like growing up i would hear about history in africa but it wasn't really um that deep you know like oh we were kings and queens oh, okay that's great right <laughs> like it was never anything really in debt any like i didn't even know about colonialism i didn't know what happened um to the african people while they were while the other rest of us were being shipped off to the americas like i didn't i didn't know what i just know we were shipped off here i didn't know what happened back home or in the homeland or the motherland whatever you want to call it i didn't know until i took that class and that just burnt another passion or fire in me and i was just was it like, over a particular period or was it in a particular place or it was just like a general survey it was like... a general survey it was a one semester class and they went over um, they started with, like, Kemet and talking about Egypt. They went down to yeah. Nubia. They went over to West Africa. They just went to different points in different history, talking about different people. And I'm like... Did you learn about my man, Thomas Sankara? About who? Thomas Sankara. I Thomas see Sankara. Here we go again. I'm, I'm, I'm taking Thomas. this. Up. No. 
Sundata and Musa Musa. I was like, who? <laughs> who are these people? I, there, there are so <laughs> many cool. Yeah, I'm, and again, I, I feel the same way about a lot of those um, revolutions because because the, the colonial uh, project was so prevalent throughout Africa and in the worst violent kind of way. Uh, there are so many sort of uh, things to take inspiration from in, in those particular places too. Like Mandela is a big one for me. Mm-hmm, I mean, that, that's, I mean, that would probably be the biggest one. But there's there's many sort of um, stories all around uh, Africa you can take something from. Burkina Faso, Guyana. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know as much about it as I should either. But I guess I still don't know as much, <laughs> yeah. and I only took like a, f- a few courses. But that fueled a whole nother like spark in me. Like I sparked in college. Like it was a spark to like just really trying to figure out like who who am I? How do I identify? Um, how do I understand people outside of me? So like connecting with different groups that I don't even personally identify with. But I did. I know I learned a lot about. Um, like they had a black LGBTQ um, IAA group and I went to their meetings learning. Like I went to learning about so many things on campus, so many different groups of people and how like intersectionality, like how important that is to understand yourself and multiple identities and identities you don't even identify as, but it's really important to just, I guess it was important to me. I don't even know why. Like I can't even explain some of the things why I was like, attracted to it because i even think about when i was a little girl i was intrigued with reading stories about people about african people who were enslaved here in the united states and the jewish holocaust like i was like intrigued with that stuff like i like i have my book collection still i'm a book i'm a nerd i like books it's a big we're big though <laughs> uh you can't uh, you might not even be able to surpass our bookish nerdiness <laughs> between between carl and me we're it's it's pretty bad. Yes, I had um so when I bought my home, I had my stepdad build a library in my room. Like I need you to build shelves like for all my book collection. Like if, if I ever get the opportunity when I have my forever home as they call it, I just want a library in my house, right? Just a library of books. And I love books from a child, but I was like really intrigued with reading stories about like people. Like I think I don't even think it was because people were enslaved or what the, I like to hear. Like, I guess the people's resilience. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I was always attracted to like stories of like oppression. That's kind of weird. Like, <laughs> like people suffering. I, I, I actually, <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I could rattle off a few reasons. I don't think so. Right. I mean, even for, uh, because uh, first of all, just in general, because I, I have a, um, I don't even know. I I, th- I I think there's an important lesson. Like, for example, I follow, and I tell anybody who's on Twitter should follow the Auschwitz Museum. Mm-hmm. They have their own uh, Twitter account. And every day, they'll, they'll give you a little bit of history. But it's usually like, hey, on this day, X, Y, Z. But it's like, hey, on this day, um, you know, th- they went into, you know, the SS went into some ghetto in, in, in Poland um, shipped 800 people. They arrived two days later, and 415 were immediately gassed. And just like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking a. Yes. I my I I've been to Munich a few times, and I 
Um, I'm sort of ashamed to say it, but well, there's a reason for it. But in any case, uh, some friends of mine went to Dachau in Munich, and it's very actually close to the city center, <clears throat> and it's there's still it's still next to a, like a neighborhood, like a like a little suburban neighborhood, you know. And they took the tour, and my friend uh, asked one of the historians there, like, when was this village built? I said, ah, the village has been there 400 years. So he's like, now you're industrially killing dozens of people a day mm-hmm. here. Now these motherfuckers don't know what's going on. And again, they did know what's going on, but they sort of turned their back to it. <clears throat> and I think that's the lesson for today is like, We've taken kids away from their families at the border, and there's over a thousand of them, and we don't know how to contact their parents. Think about that. We've done that in the last two and a half, three years, something like that. People turn their back to that stuff. And I think I, I, I follow, like, I, my, I don't want to say fascination because it's a weird word, but my, the reason I think it's important is it gives context. You know, just like Michael Manley's struggle in Jamaica or Mandela, you know, Mandela's struggle. Mandela's context is so, it's it's, it's almost so on the nose, um, it doesn't work. It's like, yeah, they called him a terrorist. Yeah, no shit. Uh, they locked him up like Lula, right? He's a communist because he takes support to ANC, takes support from the Soviets, right? That's what they did with Castro and everything. Um, and, it, and it all rolls up into this vile apartheid and racism. And then what does he do? He has a truth and reconciliation. And it doesn't, the fact that they were able to, to at least in, this, in the way that they did it, end apartheid the way that it was without just further massacre is a testament to Mandela. And the ANC. And so I think, I just think we have a lot to learn from all this stuff. Yes. I agree. It's a lot to learn. I think, too, it was awakening, too, that it wasn't just happening here in the Americas. Me learning it happened in, in the other Americas. So South America, the struggle that was happening there, the struggle in Africa, the struggle in India. I'm like, this is like worldwide, like... That first semester of college, the first, well, first year of college was like a big, I, that was like one of my pivotal moments of awakening. And I feel like I was always, 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 always awakening or conscious. And I always say that it's kind of weird. I don't, I don't think it's weird, but people used to tell me that was weird. (laughs) Again, (laughs) this is, this is going to be extremely important. And, uh. You can cut this out or leave this in, number one, but I, there's got to be some uh, version of the internationality you can play at the end of this because I think that's that's the appropriate thing to play at the end of this in some fashion. Um, in any case, that's a little, that's a little footnote. Um, yeah, well, that's the problem, right, is people don't do politics like this. And the reason they don't is because they're taught not to because it's, it's revolutionary. It's radical. Right. So they're taught not to do it. So if you're getting inspiration from Gandhi, if you're getting well, I was going to say Ho Chi Minh. Sorry, Uh, I get inspiration from Ho Chi Minh. I can't get into that right now. Um, But if you look and you learn from all of these different worldwide socialist movements, 
people that's very that's very threatening to people and they don't even know why they're telling you it's weird they just know that it's weird i'll give you an example there's a famous interview I like. Uh, Noam Chomsky is talking to this um, BBC reporter, like a journalist, right? And he goes, uh, so the, he, Chomsky's point is basically that um, journalism is there to basically, so to, as, a, as a tool to get the powerful's information out and spread just basically propaganda. Right. right. And so the journalist says, well, I'm a journalist. No, I, 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 are you saying that I'm self-censoring? And he said, no, I believe, that, I believe you believe everything you're saying. The, the difference is that from a very young age, you knew that if you wanted to be a journalist for the BBC or you wanted to do this or you wanted to do that, you took this field of study and you learned it this way from these people. They taught you that way. And then, you know, you got your job and that was set up in a particular way. So you wouldn't be there if you didn't believe it. But the fact is, it's wrong. And so that's why people tell you, oh, you, why would you care about what happened here or there yeah. or have this feeling? It's because you're, it's just the milieu that people live in. And they don't even know why it's weird. They just know that they've been taught that it's subversive or that it's odd or that we can ignore it or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, we talked about it in the beginning. Like, it's just this natural thing. Of, it's a, it's a way to try to disincent motivated people. And I'm not standing for it. Yeah. And I think it was hard for me because for a few years, I don't want to say, I don't know what the right word is. I can't, I became unmotivated, you know, like I kind of stopped exploring, stopped researching, stopped being into community organizing. So it was about a good three, four years. And um, I had just had my two youngest children, two at the time. And I felt like I went into like a deep depression. Like it was like a set, like one of the lowest moments of my life where I felt like I wasn't engaging with people in a intellectual way. I felt like everything was surface. I felt like conversations I was having and the things I was doing wasn't mean, it didn't mean anything. Like, what am I doing? It meant nothing those three years. And I always felt like um, people like, oh, you're doing so much now. No, I lost three years, four years. I have a lot to catch up on. So I feel like I'm on go now when I finally woke back up. Um, so I think I, I was just battling like postpartum depression. That's why I'm really big like on maternal health care. I was battling like postpartum depression. I was in a toxic relationship. It was just a mixture of just bad on top of bad. And, um... You know, I just woke, I don't know, well, I know what woke me up. Like, three incidents happened. I got in a bad car accident. It happened in, like, April, like, two like two years ago. I got in a bad car accident, and I had totaled my car, and I had my third daughter. She was probably, like, a few months old, and I was on my way to the hospital. Got in a bad car accident with her. Both of us were okay. We just got scraped up a little bit. But I thought I had killed somebody. They told me that I hit somebody, and they told me that person wasn't okay. Me, 
my mental wasn't right for like two, three days until they told me that person was okay. Like I felt like the worst person in the world. So I was already like in my depression. And then I thought I killed somebody. I was like, I can't, I can't deal right now. Like this can't be life. Like I'm about to go to jail. I'm about to lose everything. Somebody's dead, somebody's family. And then I remember there were people telling me like, um, telling me to make up a story of what happened in the car. Like, no, I fell asleep. I was irresponsibly driving, but I was tired just from being a mother, just tired from my depression. I was just tired. I actually, like, literally just fell asleep behind the car. Um, and being that tired, I should have never drove. But I, my daughter needed to get to the hospital. Who else was going to take her, right? So, but there, it's like two two ways to the story I can go. But I felt really bad. I thought I killed somebody. That was, like, my first, like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? Um, and then when I found out she didn't die, about a week later, I'm, like, in pain. Um, so then I found out that a cyst had erupted in my uterus and I didn't know I had a whole bunch of cysts in my uterus. So, um, and they, and they were, they came basically from like stress, not eating. You can get like cysts would develop in your body. So I had, my body was infested with cysts. I didn't know that at the, at all. So like it erupted. I was close to the point of where I was laying in bed. I couldn't move. I heard my kids crying and my daughter's like, mom, get up. I could not get up. So my mom, she called my mom, like, my mom isn't getting up. So I had to go to the hospital for, like, three weeks. I was so close to surgery. Like they ended up just giving me medicine and fight to fight the infection. So I was in the hospital for, like, three weeks. So that was, like, in that three weeks, sitting there, not having to do anything, your mind thinks about a lot of things. You have, like, I had vivid dreams some nightmares like I felt that was like my another like that whole like that I don't like that like it's just emotional just thinking about it like those three weeks in the hospital was just like a like my second thing that woke me up so I had the car accident then I was in the hospital had all these like vivid dreams and nightmares and like thoughts and just thinking about like everything in life and then a week later my uncle passed away so my uncle was like um he was like my father, so he, him and my aunt got married. Well, they were dating since I was like five, six years old, so he's been in my, and they got married later on, so he was like my favorite, like he was like a dad. So then he passed away, and I told myself, I remember the day he passed away, I said, either I'm going to dive into a deeper depression at this point, or I'm going to go back into the things that I love. So that was like the moment. I was just like, it's time. I got to get back onto what I love. So that's when I start getting back into the scene of like, what do I do? What is on my goal list? Like, what do I want to do in life? Like I was like three, four years. I felt like I was like, I didn't engage in any intellectual conversations. I didn't think, I didn't think, think beyond surface level. I was depressed. I was in a toxic, I allowed all these things to go in a, for about three to four years. And that was like my eye awakening. And it's, that's really important to like how I community organize now because Self-care is so important as a community organizer. And I'm realizing that from my experience, I didn't do self-care. I didn't stay in those intellectual conversations that thrive me as a person. That is my being. That is who I am. I need that. Like, I need it. I need to be engaged. I have to be in the community. Like, that's me. I don't know where it comes from, but I have to be. Like, there's no questions about it. And that was, yeah. I mean... I think it's pretty clear <clears throat> why you have such a deep feeling for international solidarity. 
I mean, that's a... I don't even know where to begin with that, actually. That's pretty heavy, you know. It is heavy. And it's it's still... Like, sometimes... Like, the comp... I'm just glad I'm out of it. Like, people... Like, I used to... Like, depression, especially in a black community, is looked down on, right? So... Still stigma? It's still a stigma. I feel like we're moving out of it because I have... There's a lot more people who will talk about, like, seeing therapists now. And it's like an open conversation. Beforehand, it was closed off. So... Before I had my two my two youngest daughters, if somebody would have been like depression, I would have looked at them like the like what is that? Like who who gets depressed? Like that's like I'm I'm gonna be frank. That's white people stuff. Like what, what do you mean depression? Like yeah. no, but like understanding that nail, like dep- everybody like anybody can experience depression, and it doesn't go away. That thing will linger on forever, and you just gotta learn how to manage it i'll tell you i don't i don't reflect a lot on because i now i see a therapist now i always say i'm i'm on a low dose of zoloft and a high dose of ganja but i didn't but it it took me a long time to like come to the conclusion that like yeah i have like almost crippling anxiety and and it was coming out like it wasn't that I was like introverted. It was like I acted out. And and I'm like, why didn't I just like I, I I mean, I know why I didn't. You can't, you know, you wish you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Well, if I just would have just like reckoned with myself or did this or did that. Um, but it took me a long time to to be like, yeah, that's fine. You just sometimes you don't feel good. This is a better way to think. They can give you a little, very little thing, and you feel better. Right. And that's it. But you're right. I mean, I even. It took me a long time to be able to be like, yeah, I see a therapist. I take a little bit of Zoloft every day. I mean, who doesn't want to kind of thing, you know, like, like that? <laughs> like, but it took me a long time to be able to kind of like just fucking say it. And I and that's bad, because. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, a lot of things happened in my life that that sort of got me out of that. One of them's uh, down the hall there. Um, but yeah, I mean, as long as you, I mean, you you come from a sort of an intellectual background. You were a reader. You heard political conversations in your family and in your extended family. Um, you know, you you went to university, and so you were able to like reflect on it. And sort of do a little bit like what what is what is happening here, and kind of get you know and had the resources to get out. I hope everybody can. It's another one like uh, I know you don't work on it a lot, and I've been wondering one of the things that network doesn't do a lot, or maybe they do, and I don't know about it, is like homelessness and mental health in the city. Because I just saw today, I guess that's why it's on the top of my mind. Um, the the Y, the Central Branch Y isn't going to renew the um, grant the that they show, get yeah. for like housing 60 mm. or 70, you know, f- people who are rough sleeping, you know, home, chronically homeless. They closed the other center or that they always have problems. We had a long conversation in here with Michael Kambach from the creative vision factory about it because um, 
you know, the Shipley Lofts is something that he worked with with Chris White to get to, to have, you know, housing, transitional housing and different stuff. But nobody, again, it's just ignored. You know, nobody looks at it. So what are they going to do with those YMCA? I, Turn them to apartments, high-end apartments, and run them out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you want to shit on Buccini Pollen Group, I'd be fucking happy to do it. <laughs> fucking turn, put a pool. They already have the pool, right? Yeah, they got But now the you pool. won't be able to use the pool anymore. The pool's only for the people who live in the high end apartments. We're fucked up. But again, look, I mean, this is why we're in Highlands Bunker, right? Like, do you know the looks I get? Like, and I still get them, even today, even because, you know, there's been a, another little boom here with the stuff that they've done. Like, when I go to like social events in in the, in these uh, you know out in the world around here, and you badmouth Buccini Pollen Group, it's like you have it's like you have eighteen heads. It's like what are you talking about? Like they fucking suck. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, what, are, what are you? What are you? I mean, what are we talking? Like I don't even know how to talk to you right now because they their gentrifiers are driving people out of their home, uh, and it's all fake. They get free land. They get tax abatements. They get every fucking incentive in the book to just fucking skate. But because they can hire their own fucking black shirt security on Market Street, it's fine. And I don't think it's fine. Now, what they're going to do with uh, the why, I have no idea. I have no idea. Because they're renovating other parts of that why. They have, in the last few years, they've been renovating and doing fundraisers. I went to a few of their fundraisers, and I've seen a lot of the renovations that they're doing. So I think they have plans for the upstairs. And I could just speculate. I'm thinking high-end apartments sound about right right there. It's a nice building. It's a nice building. It is rebuilt Pre-war. the Wilmington Hospital um, to Christiana oh. Care. They're building that area up. They have the um, where the Harvest House. Is it the Harvest House? No, yes, where the they built, like, Different little restaurants and bars there. Yeah, they have that I new speakeasy place in the historic building. I forget the name of it. I haven't been there. And you know what? I'm okay with development, but not at the expense of the most vulnerable populations. But here's and here's the argument you get. And again, this is what I'm. They're like, well, if it doesn't, you know, but it's it's a, it's just a money game. They don't care. The vulnerable populations, they can just stick the cops on them. That's what the cops are for, right? And so it's not in our interest to do anything because cops. Because you can fly a flag with a blue line on it and people fucking stroke off to it. So if as long as you have them hassling people, then you don't really have to deal with the problem at hand. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's sickening when you think about it. Um. The like, same where thing do that, those people go? Well, I, I've talked to the same thing about the the um, uh, the treatment center on Lancaster Avenue. They don't want it there now. Of course, people getting treatment for drug addiction or mental health that they, they're they're no more violent than anybody else. Just, we we know this. This is facts. I mean, we have evidence. They don't commit crimes at a greater rate. None of that stuff. People just don't like the idea of it. So now we can't have a fucking treatment center in the neighborhood. For just fucking dumb reasons, and our dunderhead mayor—he just—he doesn't—he tries to push it all out too because he's just a puppet of that idea of Buccini Pollen Group, 
of of people who are worried about their 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 property values and, and, and it's just fake because the thing that they think would drive their property values down does actually doesn't even do anything but again this is what we're up against we're up against entrenched structural power that has taught us from a very young age that some people deserve things and some people don't that that uh, you know that some people don't matter and we'll deal with those people in other ways and and they, they do it naturally they don't even think about it they don't even realize what the cops are doing they think it's cool like they don't even get it I just I what I fight you know is depressed is uh just getting discouraged and being like fuck it because I'm I come from a place of of privilege I mean almost every kind you can think of and so what I fight is this idea of like you know what the fuck am I doing I don't need to do this I don't need to I don't need to fucking just I can just go back to my class and my people and just fuck all this but uh I can't <laughs> I can't my my constitution won't allow me to do it same here. but I fight that I fucking shit all the time like <laughs> I, I can't though I can't I can't I just it's not even an option I don't feel like it's an option I feel either. like if I try to do it suppress it I will probably go back into a deep depression like it's like a part of who I am like this isn't like the community organizing work I'm doing isn't a job. Like this is something that I really love and I'm passionate and like it's just my it's like a calling. Like I feel like I really found something that I'm really in love with. Like at these job like these I hate working. I'm gonna say I hate work I hate working. Like I hate this nine to five. I hated it. I hate it sitting listening. Is that bad? <laughs> like I hate listening to other people. Like no. Why am I here nine to five putting my energy into a whole nother corporation who really don't give a fuck about me? Have you ever have you read have you read Marx at all? Are you familiar with Karl Marx as a philosopher? (laughs) It's a he's uh, the prose is quite dense. However, after many, many years of study, uh, he answers the exact question that you're asking. Yeah, I mean, you're just uh, you're the guy at the at the at the at the loom or or in the factory or. I don't want to be a part of this system. I don't uh, want to be this. Well, I will this. tell you this, because <clears throat> I struggle with that too for reasons for even bigger reasons because you know the privilege I have comes from so all of the privileges I have came from it so I had to like sort of reckon with that but again, this is the system that we're in. There's no way out of it. Um, the idea that I think that you know you can't use a fucking mobile phone or you you can't shop at Amazon and people tell me this because I'm I'm kind of like a I'm a scold about leftists have to be a scold about something whether it's like the vegans or like I look at Amazon anytime somebody buys something from Amazon I freak out but again you, we live in a society and so you kind of have to there's certain things you have to accept. But then there's certain things you don't accept. That's so true. Like certain things, I like. I'm I'm ordering from Amazon. Like, yeah, probably will tonight. Yeah, um, again, so, <laughs> but there's other things I just won't participate in. Like, 
I cut off all my cable. I, I don't want nothing to do with Comcast. I want to do with I just did the same <laughs> thing. I just did the same thing. But then I get the Wi-Fi because I'm in Wilmington, so I can get right. a good, good signal here with the Wi-Fi. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I can cut Comcast off all the way. They come here. They put the antenna on your roof. They set it all up. They put it right where I wanted it. Thing it was great, and I was like, Hey man, I'm glad you guys work for a local thing, like you get your benefits. And so he's like, Oh no, he's like, We're, we're it's terrible. I'm like, And you can't get away from it. People just treat yeah. their employees, employees like shit, like, yeah, because it doesn't, it's they're incented to do that. I mean, the, the, the mechanism of the company is a way to extract, like, it's, it's, yeah, I don't, we, we won't get into marks right now, but. But yeah, no, I mean that's I you gotta stay plugged in some things, and I think if you uh, try to unplug all the way, you're gonna go crazy. This work will drive you insane. Uh, but yeah, we just had to keep going. I mean, you had to try to feel if you feel like what you're doing is right, and like you're fighting for the right people. I think you're doing it right. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. what I try to do, and I just try to like whatever the other stuff is. I try to manage it. So fucking order from that. Get Amazon Prime for all I care. I do have it. I knew it. That's why I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon's like the best thing they could have invented. But then the other part of me is like, they're evil as corporation, right? They pay no well, you taxes. Can, you can you can, here's what you will say. This is how we'll, we'll resolve this dialectic. You can, you can have Amazon Prime because you have kids and you, Christmas is coming. But you can also cheer the fact that the uh, and I wish I could remember her name, uh, Swami. Uh, she's the uh, city council member in Seattle, who just beat off the, the Bezos. Shama uh, Sawant. That's it. So Jeff Bezos in Seattle. There's a, there's a a, a very strong. Uh, uh, I guess she's an uh, American of Indian descent. Uh, she's a socialist on the Seattle City Council, and of course she goes head to head with Amazon all the time. Try to get them to pay a wealth tax to help homelessness. Try to get them to pay a wealth. I mean, you know, it's, it's tolerable out there. Uh, and so Bezos was kicking in money to a pack, an unlimited pack, to funnel money to a city council candidate. They funneled like, like half a million dollars to the to this guy Orion, Paul Orion, or something, or Ryan, something. Uh, and on election night, she was pretty far behind. But they have, like, mail-in ballots for a month in Seattle. So they had tons and tons of mail-in ballots. When they started counting them, she won. Mm -hmm. And so she beat back the richest man on the planet. So it can be done. And so also, you can get Amazon Prime if you want. <laughs> because we're, you're, you're getting your stuff fast, but we're beating them in the street. Yeah, so. that's good. Yeah. Well, uh, we've come to the end of another... Uh, episode and i'll tell you what this might have been one of the funnest ones i've had i mean i can't say anything we had harvey jk but if harvey jk was here it would have been fun but he was on the skype so i'm not that fun i don't feel like i struggle with that i don't feel like my story is i'm not fun i'm just regular you know i'm not even gonna get into this right now <laughs> i'm just regular you know i mean <laughs> nothing fun. you told us to look, i'm just going to uh, dear listener i all i can give you is the show <laughs> Carl will produce the show, and it, and then you you decide whether Shanae is fun or not fun. You can hit me up on Twitter at Highlands Bunker. You can tell me you know whether that what do you think? Um, 
you, what you really should do is go to patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Look at the art. I'm going to put a new uh, piece of art up there probably this week and tweet it out. Um, that should be fun. But to also consider patronage. Uh, you heard the Harvey JK episode. By this time, you'll have heard the Paul Bombach episode. Uh, there's another very uh, proclaimed national guest uh, due on in two weeks, maybe. Who I'm not going to tell you because none of you fucking pay. You pay $5, I'll tell you. Go on Patreon. Well, Lula is livre. Uh, Ava Morales is on the run. But Lebanon is rising up. You should go take a look at that. People are rising up in Lebanon for a reason that might surprise you. That's a good, that's a good story. So we just have to look to these stories all around the world. We have to draw inspiration from them. We have to have solidarity with them. You'll notice that in the UK, they have a big election coming up. Jeremy Corbyn is going to win. Labor is going to win. Jeremy Corbyn has shown solidarity with Lula and Ava Morales. Lula has endorsed a presidential candidate, one Bernard Sanders from Vermont. It's all connected. All around the world. We're doing it, folks. Free Chelsea Manning. Left is best.